Oh, man. Libby, you're magic. Thank you so much. Give it up for Libby. <laughs> Give it up for yourselves. You guys stood and participated. Let's just keep going. I'm just kidding. Stop. Stop, stop doing it. All right. Hey, I am excited to be with you this morning um, as we kick off this Christmas series uh, of great joy with you. And, and, and Christmas is obviously that uh, time of year, right? That joy is kind of thrown in your face. It's the joyous time of the year, right? What I think we all love, me included, about Christmas are so many things. But what I love about Christmas is Christmas embodies the virtues of the Christian faith. Uh, joy, peace, uh, giving, uh, love. It's like it's that time of year that I think, the, for the most part, there's a sense of decency in, the, in humanity because we all love Christmas. And I think for a lot of us, that's a reason why so many want to start it earlier and earlier because we long for that. And so we're starting this new series over the next few weeks of great joy. I have good news of great joy. And this emanates out of this verse in Luke 2. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so today, what I want to do with you is kind of talk about joy and happiness and how these two are not the same at all, even though they seem to be interchangeable in our language, but they're not. And you see here with this, this utterance, this, this command, this message that I bring you good news of great joy. What is the joy? The joy is that the boy will be born. And so that is the source of this joy. That as we launch into this discussion today, I want us to talk about joy. What is joy? I want to give some descriptors to joy. And if your name is joy, it's a great day to be here. There you are, joy, right? Also, what happiness is compared to joy and how these two are not the same. And then I want to go into, especially with today's message, what I believe is kind of the chief robber behind taking the stealing of our joy. And I think that's a sense of a loss of control. When we, things don't go the way we planned or a trajectory is thrown our way that we didn't see coming, and that could be a sense of just, it just robs us of our joy. And so today I want us to talk about how we can still choose joy in the midst of adverse circumstances. And for us to get started, we're going to start off right away with what is joy. And through all the study I've been doing with this, I see this everywhere all over Scripture. Joy, joy, joy. And when I study, I know this to be true about joy. Joy is a person. And again, if that's your name, you would agree. But here's the thing. What I mean by that is this. Joy is the person of Jesus. That the source of joy, and joy itself, is the embodiment of Jesus. It's the embodiment of what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, and what Christ has yet to do. That joy is a person, and that person is Christ. That no matter what detours are thrown your way, no matter what is going on in your life, this is true every day, 24-7, 365 days out of the year, that there is a God who created you, that he stamped you with his image. And with that stamping, it says you are valuable, you have infinite worth, and with that stamping, you have a mission and a purpose. And that you get to play a part in this kingdom movement. That that God who stamped you with his image also stepped out of heaven 
to walk on this earth to show us how to live among humanity, how to act, how to talk, how to serve, and eventually sacrifices his life for us to forgive us of our sins, and three days later defeat the grave so that we can walk in eternity with him now and forever. And at the end of the day, no matter what things get thrown your way, no matter what detours come your way, that joy is a person and I can always choose it because of that reality. And so that takes me to the next point is that joy is a choice. That it's more volitional than it is emotional. It's not always the easiest choice. It's not always the obvious choice. But you can choose joy anywhere, anytime, anyway. But Eric, you don't know my past. You don't know what I'm walking into this room with today. You don't know my challenges. You don't know the hurt that I'm walking with, the pain. And while I don't know all of your stories, and I empathize with you, and I feel for you, I do absolutely believe even in the midst of whatever it is, you can choose joy. Because joy is Christ, and joy is a choice. We have a struggle with it because I think we feel that joy is happiness. And joy is not happiness. It's not at all. Now, being joyful can seem a lot like being happy. When things are going well, our happiness is an aspect of our joyfulness. But joy is sustaining in a way that happiness can never be. It abides. And so here are some descriptors. Happiness is pure emotion. Joy is a pure choice. Happiness is chemicals that are released. It's a dopamine hit. Joy is something that I can choose anytime, anywhere. It's much like the love of the Christian faith that Christ talks about. That he embodies this love that is not emotional. It's void of circumstances. It's unconditional. It is a willing choice every day. Will you love like he loved? Happiness is contingent. Joy is non-contingent. Happiness is dictated on external variables working out in our favor. Joy is not. And no matter what gets thrown our way, no matter what adversity is before us, we can still choose joy. Happiness trusts in outcomes. Joy trusts in Christ. Happiness trusts in outcomes that I gotta have the, the, my desired outcome met for me to feel happiness. Joy doesn't matter. It's trusting in Christ and what he has done, is doing, is yet to do. Happiness resists adversity. Right, I feel good. I feel happy. I don't want anything to take this from me, rob me of this, keep any sense of challenge away from me, keep any sense of adversity away from me, because I want to continue to feel this feeling. Joy sees through it. That means is it doesn't avoid it. Adversity is inevitable. Life is life. Life is pain. Adversity will come. The obstacle will inevitably be in the way but it doesn't have to be the end of you when you realize that joy is rooted in Christ, that he has done an amazing work on the cross. He's doing an amazing work here and now, whether you see it or not, you choose to see it or not, and that one day everything is going to be restored, that pain and sickness and suffering and all those things are going to be taken away. So joy sees through adversity because God is at work still. Happiness focuses on us. It's very much dependent on me. It's all about me, 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 getting that feeling of goodness and happiness and all those things. And again, joy focuses on Christ. 
Here's a great definition. If you have a phone and you want to snap, that's, that's cool or not. I don't care. It's up to you. Joy is a Christ-centered confidence. Again, it's confidence that is centered around Christ. A hope whose focus is outside of us. That sustains us in the midst of trials. Prompts us towards a Christly perspective. Which then guides us through troubling times. See, it's another way. I, I, I kind of wrote some of these things down. That, that joy is a sense of confident contentment. How can that be? Like even, even in the pain that I'm feeling, how can I have this sense of confident contentment? Because I know that God's got it. That one day this will be restored. That he has died. That he loves me. And he's filling me every day. That even though this is not joyful, even though I'm not smiling and happy about this, I still have a confident contentment that he is working. It's a sense of peaceful certainty. I mean, it's not about the Pollyanna smiling and laughing. I have to put this fake smile on because being joyful can seem like a lot. Like I have to be happy, but it's possible to be in circumstances where we feel sadness, anger, confusion, and hurt, and we can still have joy. Because it's not an emotion. It's rooted in the person of Christ and that it's a choice. And so you're going to get a little bit of a player's box lesson here because we do this just a little, we do this a lot with our students that the chief robber of joy, I believe, is this sense of a loss of control. That I don't know if you'll self-identify, but are there any other control freaks in here with me that can kind of, amen with me, yeah, right? You, you, you love that, right? You love a sense of control. The calendar the trajectory of your life. I was a Matrix dork and nerd, and I love the philosophy in those films. And there's this scene in the first film with Neo and Morpheus, Keanu Reeves, right, and Lawrence Fishburne, when he's about to red pill him, and he says to him, Neo, do you believe in fate? You could even say, do you believe in God? Whatever. And he says, no. I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. Got news for you, big guy. You're not in control of it. And that's the thing, that control is this large, significant um, illusion in our lifetime. That we think we have control when really we don't. We're at the mercy of outside forces, and God is the one truly in control. And so when we talk with our students, whether it's about athletics or academics or arts, one of the things we get them to understand is that you can't control everything. So we, take, we say this term to them. We say, control the controllables. Control the controllables. And here's what those are. We tell them this. Here's what you can control. First and second, your attitude and your behavior. Absolutely 100% within your control at any moment. The next thing, your response to adversity is completely under your control. How you choose to respond to that. There's a, famous, there's a great book out there I talk about all the time. Super short. If you hate reading, you're going to get through it quickly, and it's great. It's called The Coffee Bean by John Gordon. He talks about this. How you choose to respond to adversity. You can either be the carrot that's in hot water, signifying the adversity. What's a carrot do in hot water? Softens. You become soft. You can be the victim mentality. Or you can be the other extreme where you put the egg in hot water. What's it do? Hardens. You can be hard. You can be embittered. You can be just angry. Or obviously the crux of the book is you be the coffee bean. Be the coffee bean. The coffee bean enhances his environment. That in hot water, the coffee being left for time will turn into this delicious elixir, right? Called coffee, right? 
He says, be the coffee bean. Enhance, choose to enhance your environment. And no matter what's thrown at you, that you can control the way you respond to adversity. And the last thing is your effort. You can control your effort. And so that's it. This is what's fully at your control at any given moment. Outside of that, you're at the whim of outside forces. And so today, I want us to kind of look at uh, crux of Scripture, because here's the thing. This is a tale as old as time. God's people, everyone, throughout all of history, there have been people who wanted to control the narrative or the trajectory of their life. Same with God's people. And in Acts 16, the church is thriving. Uh, God's apostles are out sharing the news of Jesus. Churches are being planted left and right in cities. Um, but Paul and Silas in the scripture had a plan A for their life. They had a plan A of what they were going to do or where they were going to go, and who they were going to tell about Jesus. It was their plan A. And plan A for them was to get to Asia. They want to go to Asia, and they want to tell them about Jesus. And what I want you to think about as we jump into this is, what if the detours of your life, what if the detour is the destination? Sit with that for a minute. What if the detour that didn't work out in your favor, that you struggle with and are dealing with, what if it's a part of the destination? You're going to see this on the screens as we read about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit, what, had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Plan A was to go to Asia. God said, nah, we're not doing that, guys. Okay, on to plan B. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Plan B ain't working either, guys. So we're on to plan C. So instead, they went on through Mysia, the seaport of Troas. And now, they start to see that the detour is becoming the destination. Because that night... Paul has a vision. A man from Macedonia, northern Greece, was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. You think? Plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. I think God's got something going on here, something maybe better. And so what's fascinating about this is this, what you've got to think about. This is Paul's second missionary journey. It is believed that Paul traveled over 10,000 miles by foot and boat to share the news of Jesus. In a day and age where they said the average person travels maybe over 30, just a little over 30 miles outside their hometown. And what you need to know is if this detour didn't happen, think about this. Some of the significant letters of the New Testament might not be in existence in those churches. We love the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. If this detour didn't happen, they might not have started a church in Corinth. Thessalonians is another letter. If this detour didn't happen, we might not have the church of Thessalonica. And another popular one as we talk about joy and choosing joy in the midst of adversity is the book of Philippians. That the book of Philippians, the city of Philippi, the church there might not have existed if it wasn't for the detour God had them on. 
So what if the detour is the destination? You see things are going well for them. They're sharing the good news. In fact, they come to a lady named Lydia. Lydia is the first Christian convert on the continent of Europe. And she's a powerful force in the church of Philippi. If not for the detour, this wouldn't have happened. Things are going well. And this is where the story gets a little strange. Because God throws another detour their way. One that is much more painful. You see, as they're walking, which, gosh, could you imagine living in a day like that with no cars? Walking everywhere you go? Here's the thing, guys. People can just jump out, follow you everywhere you go. People you don't like just follow you and heckle you. Right? All day. You can't get away from it. You can't slam on the gas and get away from it. And that's just exactly what happens, which is hilarious. There's a young, it says a slave girl, a young lady, jumps out and follows them for days. Yeah. And it says she had a spirit within her where she could, where she could fortune tell. And so because of that, being a slave, she brought a, immense money to her owners because of this. And she followed Paul and Silas for days. And she would be behind them yelling out, these men serve the almighty God and they're here to show you essentially how to live. Which sounds harmless. It sounds great, actually. It eliminates me having to set it up when I come to town, right? She's been saying it all along, right? But what I love about this passage is Paul wasn't married and didn't have kids. And I think for a moment here, he can empathize with those who ever loaded up a van and gone to Florida. Been there? Amen? We've been there? Where hours of driving, kids yelling from the back seat, nonstop, right? pins and objects throwing up, getting thrown up to the front, and you finally hit your level of exasperation. Right? I'm going to turn this, I'm going to pull this car off the road. Did anybody actually say that today? My dad totally did that. I'm going to turn this car around. So Paul it literally says, in his exasperation, turned to the girl and said, the name of Jesus Christ, I command the Spirit to come out of you. Boom, it's gone. She's lost her powers. And so because of this, her owners become irate. It says they arrested Paul and Silas. It doesn't say this, but you can imagine in those days, beaten within an inch of their life. And they are thrown into prison. All because of exasperation. In a moment where Paul obviously didn't choose joy, right? But here's something that's powerful about this scene. Again, over and over you read scripture. Over and over you see God's people, Paul, the early church as it's growing. The detours are a thing of the faith constantly. And he knew, he would use the terminology, I'm a slave to Christ in the most wonderful way imaginable, meaning I, am, I will do everything he wants me to do. I serve his will at any moment. I'm going to do what he wants me to do, knowing that detours are coming. And so they're thrown into prison. They're beaten. They're isolated. And maybe some of you feel this way walking in here today. That your detour has been extremely painful. that you feel like you're isolated and separated from God. What is God doing? What is happening right now? Why? Why? And what is amazing in the midst of this story is what Paul and Silas choose to do at midnight once they're thrown into prison. I want you to see these words. 
sounds around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and what? Singing hymns to God. Sores not healed. Dried blood on their bodies. And they're singing praise to God. And what? The other prisoners were listening. This is a powerful thing. That in the midst of adversity and challenges and pain and grief, they chose joy because they knew that joy was a person and joy was a choice. They might not have been happy about the beatings, but they knew that things were going to work out in a way one day where Christ would restore everything. And I am here to serve my mission and purpose and tell the world about him. Here's my question to you. No matter what detours have been thrown your way, or what you're walking with today, will you sing from the jail cell? Maybe you have. Maybe you do, and that's amazing. I praise you. Continue that. Because this doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily, and I am one that can say that I have not gotten this done. Because here's the thing. When you can sing and choose joy in the jail cell, someone is listening. You see, the story of the jail cell is this. That night, after they are praying, after they are singing, an earthquake hits. The jail cell is open. The shackles fall off. And every prisoner in that jail cell has the opportunity now to just flee. But another thing, a powerful thing, plays out in another detail. Because when the jailer wakes up, he assumes people have left. So he begins the act of where he's going to take his life. And Paul yells out, no, 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 save your life. We are all still here. And because of that, the jailer says, what do I have to do to be saved? And he gets baptized. I am telling you right now, none of that would have happened if this didn't happen. Because the other prisoners were listening, and it changed their lives. Or these cats would have been gone as soon as that jail cell opened. They knew something bigger was playing out here. And they're going to be faithful to this. You guys know that, um, for good or bad, I'm a Michigan fan. Not here to gloat at all. At all, I promise. I promise. In fact, I'm here to bring an Ohio State message, to be honest with you. Three, yeah, get it out, do the spelling. We forget how to do it. What was it about three weeks ago? Ohio State, Indiana game. Flip it on, and I forgot all about this kid, Cameron Bath. If you're an Ohio State fan, you may know. If you're not, you don't. Cameron Babb was a stud high school recruit, wide receiver, five-star. His trajectory for his life, his plan for his life was to get to the Ohio State University at a school that pumps out wide receivers with great pedigree that would take him to the league. And his detour would be significantly changed, significantly drastic. For over the course of five years, he has four different ACL surgeries. Two surgeries on his left knee, two surgeries on his right knee, and he doesn't even see one game until 
about three weeks ago, where they honored him. Watching his video, if you have a soul and a heart, will gut you. Because you sit there and say, this kid could absolutely be miserable, bittered, and hate this life. And all it is is this kid claiming, screaming, singing from a jail cell that Jesus is everything. And it's the only way that I've made it through this. And if you will, I cut up the Ohio State University's video of Cam Babb, which first of all blows me away that that a public university recorded a six-minute video of a gospel message. I love it. But if you don't know him, enjoy getting to know Cameron Babb as he talks about when Christ entered his life. I got to that third ACL where, where I really, um, you know, surrendered my life to him, and he kind of he changed everything about me. And um, he is now my hope, my life, and my Savior, my Lord, my God, Jesus Christ. And I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for him. And, he put so many people around me, uh, my family, friends, uh, mentors, um, everybody on staff, Stewie, uh, teammates. He put so many people around me um, to make that moment and every other moment that has happened and will happen um, glorify him. I can't control everything. And so what I can control is um, how, how I respond to, to the events that happen to me. Um, but just knowing that my hope is truly in Jesus and not in myself and not even in football. And so. Um, as the years have been going on, you know, battling, you know, little injuries and knickknacks here and there. Um, it's definitely been a challenge. Definitely was, it's hard and it is hard, but I think that's life. Life is it's a challenge. The moment itself, um, when it happened, was better than I could ever imagine. Rolls to his right. Stroud throwing in the end zone for Cam Babb. He's got it for a touchdown. How about that? Cameron Babb with a touchdown catch from C.J. Stroud. And a young man who has dealt with massive, massive injury problems gets in the end zone. Somebody like me, we've been with him through three of his four ACLs. Um, it's just something that you can't really put the words. Um, I, I, I teared up. And I seen the ball, and I knew it was going to him. And when the ball went in the air, I literally, I literally started crying. When the ball was even in the air, not even to see if he caught it or not. Then once he caught it, it just I made mean, tears just start rolling down my eyes. Did this catch, to me and to so many others, I think symbolized hope. It symbolized hope that with persistence and someone that just consistently does the right thing and consistently tries to better those around him, that eventually good things happen. And to me, I know that was one of the things that overtook me with emotion was just all that hard work and just waiting and waiting finally paid off. And it felt, it, uh, it really did feel just better than I could ever imagine. It's hard to kind of put into words. It's the only word I can really, you know, the word I can really think of, like I said yesterday, is just thankfulness. I'm just so thankful. Man, I just want to be able to tell the world about him. Yeah, man. 
Guys, I mean, it was ugly crying watching the video. I was a mess. I just inspired so much by people like this. Cam Babb knew that the detour was the destination, that this isn't what he had charted for his life, but he trusted the beholder of the map. That because of this, I don't, man, his career is probably done. But because of this, what I say about singing from the jail cell, someone is listening. And hundreds of thousands of people will probably hear this story that never would have heard this story before. About Jesus. About how joy is a person. And how when that person is at the center of your core belief system, it changes everything. That you can navigate ACL injuries, four of them. You can navigate a diagnosis. You can navigate pain and hurt. You see, the issue really is in, have you truly surrendered to him? That's really it. And I've shared this about myself, that when COVID hit, the, the, the layer that was stripped was this, and I, and I believe that time was a time where God revealed things in humanity and even the church worldwide. And that for me, it revealed to me that he wasn't my utmost. He wasn't at the center of my core beliefs. At the center of them was a desire to be in control of what's happening, what's coming. And it was a whole thing for me. As I processed through this and I prayed through this, had this discovery that, man, God, forgive me, that you weren't. And so I think for many of us, we, we, we think he is until the adversity hits, which adversity truly reveals who is at the center of your belief system. You see, core beliefs, something or someone that you believe to be the most important or true, which in turn will guide your behavior and actions. A good way to find out what's at the center of your core beliefs is to ask the question, what or who are you most controlled by? Because you'll see this little wheel all through together, of core beliefs, behavior, that first and foremost, at the top, their core belief, we believe something to be true, something important, something right, something good, something we hold in the highest regard, and that can be different for every one of us. And then second, because of that, we live for that something. It affects our behavior and our actions. Our core belief leads us to live a life in a manner consistent with that belief. And then we move on because we are empowered and fueled and driven by that something or someone that keeps us going day to day. This power is the love of the thing we believe. And the outcome out of that is our love is taking us somewhere. We think it's taking us somewhere, that belief. In the long run, we get something out of it. In the end, we will be like that something or someone. Who are you becoming? Who is at the center of this feedback loop for you? For many, it can be our possessions and our families. It can be our jobs. It can be our bank account. It could be our retirement. It could be our desire to see what's ahead. And for me, it was revealed in the midst of this that at the center of this was this desire for control. And I wasn't truly surrendered to him. See, joy only comes after you truly surrender to him. When you fully trust and believe that his way is best way for us forward. When you're truly at peace with only controlling what you can control and leaving the rest up to him. It's how many throughout scripture were able to deal with adversity. 
It's the joy that Jesus chose. Look at these words here in Hebrews 12. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of faith. Here it is. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because joy is not happiness. The joy set before him was this, that he, at his chorus, wanted to serve his Father's will. He wanted to go to the cross for all humanity. That was his focus. That was his core belief. That empowered him. That what kept him on the cross in the midst of immense pain was you and God's desire to restore humanity. It's how Mary was delivered news that she would never have thought for her life, being young and engaged, and she gets news that she is going to have a child, and it's going to be the Son of God. Are you kidding? Scripture says, she says, may it be as you said. As recorded, she breaks out into song. Mary's magnificent. She chooses joy. It's how Paul and all the other followers of Christ who are beaten within an inch of their life and eventually lose their lives for their faith and choose joy. That's where we get the book of Philippians written from a jail cell. Paul says this, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. All of these people knew that joy was a person. It was rooted in Christ for what he has done, is doing, and is yet to do. And that they could choose it every day of their lives. And so as we wrap up here, I want to ask you this. What detours are you facing? Maybe right now, the detour you have gotten is a diagnosis. My heart breaks. I hesitate to share this because it always rips me up. But a close friend of mine at my previous church was our administrative assistant. Susan was amazing. She was a light for Christ. In my last couple of years there, Susan would be diagnosed with a, a massively aggressive form of, can, form of cancer. And within a year, this young lady, married with kids, is gone. I remember being so mad. But I also knew that joy wasn't an emotion, that I could feel this way and know that one day I'll see her again. But that's not the story. The story I want you to know about this young lady is as she sits in chemotherapy chairs, she can't stop singing from her jail cell. Telling people left and right about the love of Jesus. And that how she has days to live she knows that this cancer is going to be gone one day. And that is the source of her joy. No matter what you're facing, can you sing from the jail cell? Because when you do, people are listening. And the message of Christ continues to bear. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this morning and all the families represented here. I thank you for the season. I do. I thank you for the 
presents, the Christmas trees, the family, the fun, the joy, and all of the things that come with it. Music. I pray in the midst of all this that for many it's not a season of joy. That some of the detours sitting right here with us today have been of immense pain that people can't even fathom. And Lord, this isn't nothing new to you. We have a Savior who has felt all of these things. I pray today that as we leave this place, we are constantly reminded that joy is a person, it is you. That you are not finished, that you are, are working and working and working. You are active in our lives. And I pray that no matter what we face, that we can sing from the Jason. That, Lord, that you would be lifted up as we sing and others around us will hear this message. And they, too, will then surrender their lives to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Southbrook.